Chapter Twenty Five of Smith, Journalist by P. G. Wodehouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Psuke Berea. Chapter Twenty Five Trapped. Mr. Jarvis was as good as his word. On the following morning, at ten o'clock to the minute, he made his appearance at the office of Cosy Moments, his forelock more than usually well-oiled in honour of the occasion, and his right coat-pocket bulging in a manner that betrayed to the initiated eye the presence of the faithful canister. With him, in addition to his revolver, he brought a long, thin young man who wore under his brown tweed coat a blue and red striped jersey. Whether he brought him as an ally in case of need, or merely as a kindred soul with whom he might commune during his vigil, was not ascertained. Pugsy, startled out of his wonted calm by the arrival of this distinguished company, observed the pair, as they passed through into the inner office, with protruding eyes, and sat speechless for a full five minutes. Smith received the newcomers in the editorial sanctum with courteous warmth. Mr. Jarvis introduced his colleague. "'Thought I'd bring him along.' Long autos is, Monica. You did very rightly, Comrade Jarvis, Smith assured him. Your unerring instinct did not play you false when it told you that Comrade Otto would be as welcome as the flowers in May. With Comrade Otto, I fancy, we shall make a combination which will require a certain amount of tackling. Mr. Jarvis confirmed this view. Long Otto, he affirmed, was no rube, but a scrapper from Biffville on the slosh. The hardiest hooligan would shrink from introducing rough-house proceedings into a room graced by the combined presence of Long Otto and himself. "'Then,' said Smith, "'I can go about my professional duties with a light heart. I may possibly sing a bar or two. You will find cigars in that box. If you and Comrade Otto will select one apiece and group yourselves tastefully about the room in chairs, I will start in to hit up a slightly spicy editorial on the coming election.' Mr. Jarvis regarded the paraphernalia of literature on the table with interest. So did Long Otto, who, however, being a man of silent habit, made no comment. Throughout the seance and the events which followed it, he confined himself to an occasional grunt. He seemed to lack other modes of expression. A charming chap, however. "'Is this where you write up pieces for the paper?' inquired Mr. Jarvis, eyeing the table. "'It is.' said Smith. In Comrade Windsor's pre-dungeon days, he was wont to sit where I am sitting now, while I bivouacked over there at the smaller table. On busy mornings you could hear our brains buzzing in Madison Square Garden. But wait, a thought strikes me. He called for Pugsy. Comrade Maloney, he said, if the editorial staff of this paper were to give you a day off, could you employ it to profit? Surest thing you know, replied Pugsy with some fervor. I'd take me goil to the Bronx Zoo. "'Your girl,' said Smith, inquiringly. "'I had heard no inkling of this, Comrade Maloney. "'I had always imagined you one of those strong, rugged, blood-and-iron men "'who were above the softer emotions. "'Who is she?' "'I sees a kid,' said Pugsy. "'Her pa runs a delicatessen shop down our street. "'She ain't a bad mutt,' added the ardent swain. "'I'm her steady.' "'See that I have a card for the wedding, Comrade Maloney,' said Smith. "'And in the meantime, take her to the Bronx, as you suggest.' "'Won't you be wantin' me to-day?' Uh, "'Not to-day. You need a holiday. Unflagging toil is sapping your physique. Go up and watch the animals. 
and remember me very kindly to the Peruvian Lama, whom friends have sometimes told me I resemble in appearance. And if two dollars would in any way add to the gaiety of the jaunt, sure ting. Thanks, boss. It occurred to me, said Smith, when he had gone, that the probable first move of any enterprising three-pointer who invaded this office would be to knock Comrade Baloney on the head to prevent his announcing him. Comrade Baloney's services are too valuable to allow him to be exposed to unnecessary perils. Any visitors who call must find their way in for themselves. And now to work. Work, the what's-its-name-of-the-thing-gummy and the thingamabob of the what-do-you-call-it. For about a quarter of an hour, the only sound that broke the silence of the room was the scratching of Smith's pen and the musical expectoration of Messrs. Otto and Jarvis. Finally, Smith leaned back in his chair with a satisfied expression and spoke. "'Well, as of course you know, Comrade Jarvis,' he said, "'there is no agony like the agony of literary composition. Such toil has its compensations. The editorial I have just completed contains its measure of balm.' Comrade Otto will bear me out in my statement that there is a subtle joy in the manufacture of a well-formed phrase. Am I not right, Comrade Otto? The long one gazed appealingly at Mr. Jarvis, who spoke for him. He's a bit shy on hand and avoids his Otto, he said. Smith nodded. I understand. I am a man of few words myself. All great men are like that. Von Moltke, Comrade Otto, and myself. But what are words? Action is the thing. That is the cry. Action. If that is Comrade Otto's forte, so much the better, for I fancy that action rather than words is what we may be needing in the space of about a quarter of a minute. At least, if the footsteps I hear without are, as I suspect, those of our friends of the three points. Jarvis and Long Otto turned towards the door. Smith was right. Someone was moving stealthily in the outer office, judging from the sound more than one person. "'It is just as well,' said Smith softly, "'that Comrade Baloney is not at his customary post. "'Now, in about a quarter of a minute, as I said, aha!' "'The handle of the door began to revolve slowly and quietly. "'The next moment three figures tumbled into the room. "'It was evident that they had not expected to find the door unlocked, "'and the absence of resistance when they applied their weight had had surprising effects. Two of the three did not pause in their career till they had cannoned against the table.' The third, who was holding the handle, was more fortunate. Smith rose with a kindly smile to welcome his guests. "'Why, surely,' he said in a pleased voice, "'I thought I knew the face. Comrade Repetto, this is a treat. Have you come bringing me a new hat?' The white-haired leader's face, as he spoke, was within a few inches of his own. Smith's observant eye noted that the bruise still lingered on the chin where Kid Brady's uppercut had landed at their previous meeting. "'I cannot offer you all seats,' he went on, "'unless you care to dispose yourself upon the tables. "'I wonder if you know my friend, Mr. Bat Jarvis, "'and my friend, Mr. L. Otto. "'Let us all get acquainted on this merry occasion.' "'The three invaders had been aware of the presence of the great Bat "'and his colleague for some moments, "'and the meeting seemed to be causing them embarrassment. "'This may have been due to the fact that both Mr. Jarvis and Mr. Otto "'had produced—' and were toying meditatively with distinctly ugly-looking pistols. Mr. Jarvis spoke. "'Well,' he said, "'what's doin'?' Mr. Repetto, to whom the remark was directly addressed, appeared to have some difficulty in finding a reply. He shuffled his feet and looked at the floor. His two companions seemed equally at a loss. "'Goin' to start any rough stuff?' inquired Mr. Jarvis, casually. 
Uh, the cigars are on the table, said Smith hospitably. Draw up your chairs and let's all be jolly. I will open the proceedings with a song. In a rich baritone, with his eyeglass fixed the while on Mr. Repetto, he proceeded to relieve himself of the first verse of I Only Know I Love Thee. Chorus, please, he added as he finished. Come along, comrade Repetto. Why this shrinking coyness? Fling out your chest and cut loose. But Mr. Repetto's eye was fastened on Mr. Jarvis's revolver. The sight apparently had the effect of quenching his desire for song. Love me, and the world is a mine, concluded Smith. He looked around the assembled company. Comrade Otto, he observed, will now recite that pathetic little poem, Baby Sock is now a blue bag. Pray, gentlemen, silence for Comrade Otto. He looked inquiringly at the long youth, who remained mute. Smith clicked his tongue regretfully. Comrade Jarvis, he said, I fear that as a smoking concert this is not going to be a success. I understand, however. Comrade Repetto and his colleagues have come here on business, and nothing will make them forget it. Typical New York men of affairs, they close their minds to all influences that might lure them from their business. Let us get on, then. What did you wish to see me about, Comrade Repetto? Mr. Repetto's reply was unintelligible. Mr. Jarvis made a suggestion. Yous had better beat it, he said. Long Otto grunted sympathy with this advice. And yous had better go back to Spider Riley, continued Mr. Jarvis, and tell him that there's nothing doing in the way of roughhouse with this gent here, he indicated Smith, who bowed. And you can tell the spider, went on bat with growing ferocity, that the next time he gets gay and starts in to shoot guys in me dance joint, I'll bite the head off him, see? Does that go? If he thinks his little two-by-four gang can put it across to Groom Street, he can try. That's right. And don't forget this gent here and me is pals. And one that starts anything with this gent is gonna have to get busy with me. Does that go? Smith coughed and shot his cuffs. I do not know, he said in the manner of a chairman addressing a meeting, that I have anything to add to the very well-expressed remarks of my friend Comrade Jarvis. He has, in my opinion, covered the ground very thoroughly and satisfactorily. It now only remains for me to pass a vote of thanks to Comrade Jarvis and to declare this meeting at an end. Beat it, said Mr. Jarvis, pointing to the door. The delegation then withdrew. I am very much obliged, said Smith, for your courtly assistance, Comrade Jarvis. But for you, I do not care to think with what a splash I might not have been immersed in the gumbo. Thank you, Comrade Jarvis. And you, Comrade Otto. Ah, gee, said Mr. Jarvis, handsomely dismissing the matter. Mr. Otto kicked the leg of the table and grunted. For half an hour after the departure of the three pointers, Smith chatted amiably to his two assistants on matters of general interest. The exchange of ideas was somewhat one-sided, though Mr. Jarvis had one or two striking items of information to impart, notably some hints on the treatment of fits and kittens. At the end of this period, the conversation was once more interrupted by the sound of movements in the outer office. "'If that's those discs come back,' began Mr. Jarvis, reaching for his revolver. A stay your hand, Comrade Jarvis, said Smith, as a sharp knock sounded on the door. I do not think it can be our late friend. Comrade Repetto's knowledge of the usages of polite society is too limited, I fancy, to prompt him to knock on doors. Come in. The door opened. 
It was not Mr. Repetto or his colleagues, but another old friend. No other, in fact, than Mr. Francis Parker, he who had come as an embassy for the man up top in the very beginning of affairs, and had departed wrathful, mouthing declarations of war. As on his previous visit, he wore the dude suit, the shiny shoes, and the tall-shaped hat. "'Welcome, Comrade Parker,' said Smith. "'It is too long since we met. Uh, "'Comrade Jarvis, I think you know, if I am right, that is to say, "'in supposing that it was you who approached him at an earlier stage in the proceedings, "'with a view to engaging his sympathetic aid "'in the great work of putting Comrade Windsor and myself out of business. Uh, "'The gentleman on your left is Comrade Otto.' Mr. Parker was looking at Bat in bewilderment. It was plain that he had not expected to find Smith entertaining such company. Uh, "'Did you come purely for a friendly chit-chat, Comrade Parker?' inquired Smith. "'Or was there, woven into the social motives of your call, a desire to talk business of any kind?' "'My business is private. I didn't expect a crowd.' "'Especially of ancient friends such as Comrade Jarvis. "'Well, well, you are breaking up a most interesting little symposium. Uh, "'Comrade Jarvis, I think I shall be forced to postpone our very entertaining discussion of fits and kittens "'till a more opportune moment.' Meanwhile, as Comrade Parker wishes to talk over some private business, Bat Jarvis rose. I'll beat it, he said. Reluctantly, I hope, Comrade Jarvis, as reluctantly as I hint that I would be alone, if I might drop in some time at your private residence. Sure, said Mr. Jarvis warmly. Excellent. Well, for the present, good-bye, and many thanks for your invaluable cooperation. Achee, said Mr. Jarvis. "'And now, Comrade Parker,' said Smith, when the door had closed, "'let her rip. What can I do for you?' "'You seem to be all to the merry with Bat Jarvis,' observed Mr. Parker. "'The phrase exactly expresses it, Comrade Parker. I am as a tortoise-shell kitten to him. But touching your business.' Mr. Parker was silent for a moment. "'See here,' he said at last, "'aren't you going to be good? Say, what's the use of keeping up at this fool game? Why not quit it before you get hurt?' Smith soothed his waistcoat reflectively. "'I may be wrong, Comrade Parker,' he said, "'but it seems to me that the chances of my getting hurt "'are not so great as you appear to imagine. "'The person who is in danger of getting hurt "'seems to me to be the gentleman "'whose name is on that paper which is now in my possession.' "'Where is it?' demanded Mr. Parker quickly. "'Smith eyed him benevolently. "'If you will pardon the expression, Comrade Parker,' he said, "'Ah!' meaning that I propose to keep that information to myself. Mr. Parker shrugged his shoulders. You know your own business, I guess? Smith nodded. You are absolutely correct, Comrade Parker. I do. Now that Cozy Moments has our excellent friend, Comrade Jarvis, on its side, are you not to a certain extent among the Blenheim oranges? I think so. I think so. As he spoke, there was a rap at the door. A small boy entered. In his hand was a scrap of paper. "'Guy asked me to give this to the gazebo named Smith,' he said. "'There are many gazebos of that name, my lad, one of whom I am which, as Artemis Ward was wont to observe. Possibly the missive is for me.' He took the paper. It was dated from an address on the east side. "'Dear Smith,' it ran, "'come here as quick as you can and bring some money. Explain when I see you.' It was signed, W.W. W. So Billy Windsor had fulfilled his promise. He had escaped." A feeling of regret for the futility of the thing was Smith's first emotion. Billy could be of no possible help in the campaign at its present point. All the work that remained to be done could be easily carried out without his assistance. 
and by breaking out from the island he had committed an offence which was bound to carry with it serious penalties. For the first time since his connection with Cozy Moments began, Smith was really disturbed. He turned to Mr. Parker. "'Comrade Parker,' he said, "'I regret to state that this office is now closing for the day. But for this I would be delighted to sit chatting with you, as it is.' "'Very well,' said Mr. Parker. "'Then you mean to go on with this business?' "'Though it snows, Comrade Parker.' They went out into the street, Smith thoughtful and hardly realizing the other's presence. By the side of the pavement a few yards down the road a taximeter cab was standing. Smith hailed it. Mr. Parker was still beside him. It occurred to Smith that it would not do to let him hear the address Billy Windsor had given in his note. "'Turn and go on down the street,' he said to the driver. He had taken his seat and was closing the door, when it was snatched from his grasp, and Mr. Parker darted on to the seat opposite. The next moment the cab had started up the street instead of down, and the hard muzzle of a revolver was pressing against Smith's waistcoat. "'Now what?' said Mr. Parker smoothly, leaning back with the pistol resting easily on his knee. End of chapter 25 of Smith Journalist by P. G. Wodehouse